even though it does have the lyric that the title comes from <laughs> in it. Yeah. Um, it is not titled Catch Frost the Foxes, but we do hear Aaron say Catch Frost the Foxes uh, for the first time in this track. Um, it also has uh, one of my favorite uh, openings uh, to any Me Without You track. It's just Same. that it's an awesome energy-building uh, opening that... I, I feel like it's pretty unique uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of Me Without You songs. You don't really hear uh, the kind of, the way that Dan is playing the bass uh, is, you know, it's like this very kind of like, it's distorted, it's um, very garage rock kind of sounding. The, oh, it's so yeah, it's it's really, it. really good. Uh, and then and then the little twinkly guitar on top, it's, it's awesome. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite yeah. openings. Let's hear so, about it, Stephen. So, what's going on? I have more questions than answers. Oh boy, about the opening. <laughs> oh, no. But I, I That's do want to say, <laughs> I, I want to say something about the transition from track six into track seven. Yeah. Um, I should have brought this up in the episode about Seven Sisters, but the very ending of Seven Sisters, after that sort of surprising off-kilter 6556 beat mm-hmm. riff where they do groups of 22 beats four times yeah. through that's a shocking enough ending but then there's another sound that happens after all that is done that creates a bridge in the beginning of the soviet So the last sound you hear on Seven Sisters, which is also the last sound you hear on the first side of the album that ends the first half, is this really strange, high-pitched, sort of out-of-control noise. And I, I think I know what it is literally, but I know for sure what it sounds like to me. So I think it's literally a guitar that is just being held in front of an amplifier and moved Mm -hmm. in and out closer so that the feedback is moving up and down the harmonic series. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. What it sounds like to me, though, is a flute. Now, I'm not Hmm. a flautist, Mm. so I can't say for sure that this is how it would work, but I think if you overblow on the instrument, if you just change your embouchure to play higher partials without actually moving your fingers, you can get a very similar pattern of sound as what the guitar is doing there. Because mm. they're, they're both acting upon the harmonic series. It's just this fact of physics in the way that sound works. Yeah. The timbre is much more flute-like than guitar-like. So remember back to, in Torches Together, the outro of that song, you played the flute, but no one was mm. dancing. Mm-hmm. You oh sang boy. a sad song, but none of us cried. 
I love where this is going. So we introduced this idea. Same. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and we talked about some different angles on what to do with those lines. I mean, those are very closely paraphrased directly from the mouth of Jesus, probably talking about, well, no, I think the Gospels are clear. He's talking about um, the sort of religious authorities, the Pharisees around him, that mm-hmm. he's comparing them to children out of the marketplace saying, yeah. you played the flute, but no one was dancing. Mm-hmm. So if we're equating that at all to say the church or the religious authorities within Aaron's own context or something, it's like we've, we've had that image, that line introduced in the, at the end of the first song. It's the first kind of descent away from the like ecstatic joy of most of torches together. And now at the end of the first half, we have what to me comes across as somebody who you could kind of pretend they've been trying to play the flute through the whole first half of the album (laughs) and they've just given up. They're not even like trying to do fingers or play a tune. They're just blowing as hard as they can. And it's just like just ripping up and down the harmonic series. So it's this weird sound of like kind of, you know, aimless desperation at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have a clear read on how I want to interpret that. I just want to make a note that as we close out side A of the album, we have this sound that works as this counterpart to this kind of foxy growl that you hear as the guitar sound at the beginning of track right. one. So you have the fox growling at the beginning of track one, the flute blowing at the end of track six, which is a setup for the strange sound we have at the beginning of track seven. If we're creating these sort of brackets on the halves of the yeah. album. The opening sound before all that cool bass stuff even comes in is just kind of a percussive noise. Yeah. That is unlike any other sound on any of their tracks. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they Mm -hmm. made it. I'm not sure what instrument, if it's part of a drum or if it's a guitar or a synth, but there's that rant, 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 that funny little noise that's just kind of like pulsing as, as it slowly builds. And the drums come in louder, and the guitars start to play this jangly high stuff, and then you get this awesome riff with the bass, and the whole band comes in. So that's the question I want to pose to you two, is if we're trying to associate those kind of interesting sound effects with imagery, what image comes to mind when you hear the beginning of this song? Yeah, wow. That's a good question. If you've never thought of it, that's fine. It's food for thought for for you two and for anyone listening. What image comes to mind when you hear that sound? I've definitely thought about it because it is one of my favorite songs. I I tend to listen to Me Without You as as albums, but if I'm putting a random Me Without You song on, this is one of them. Yeah. Because it's just, it's a pump up song, as Joel said earlier. Like it's it's increasing your energy. So in a sense, there's a marching quality, like like a, a driving force and maybe i'm biased because of the title <laughs> i don't know it it, it it implies to me like soviet armies marching perhaps sure but, no that's that's know. fair joel any image come to mind so it does sound to me like um ricky is uh clicking clacking on the rim there's mm-hmm. clack 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 and that he's also hitting some part of a symbol 
uh, but it doesn't sound straightforwardly like a ride. It almost sounds like a China symbol, yes. which for, for or, or like a, some kind of, like a China splash or something. And for those of you who don't know what a, chi a China symbol is, uh, like it, it looks like an inverted crash symbol. So it, it makes this a very, very different, distinct, very splashy yeah. sound. Um, but it, but you're right. There there does seem to be almost like um, it's clipping or something. Like something is happening with the sound. Yeah. Uh, where it's not just straightforwardly the sim the the symbol. But um, yeah, what do I think of when I hear that? Um, I mean, it almost. <laughs> It almost sounds the way that the sim the, the the timbre and like the kind of musicality, I guess, the note uh, that the symbol's producing almost sounds like someone is messing with like a sitar or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like definitely get that. Someone's just kind of like rubbing the strings of a sitar or yeah. something. Um, you you do kind of get this like. Um, it, the beginning gives you a kind of mystical feeling. Yes. Like you are about to enter into the presence of something. Um, and I know when I've seen them play this live, this is a moment where Aaron is losing himself in the moment, usually on stage. Yes. Arms out, sort of eyes closed, swinging around. Um, you know, I... Yeah, it, that that is sort of what comes to mind. So you can, it it almost um, there are some other moments I feel like, actually now that I think about it, that aren't exactly the same. Um, but I'm thinking of like the chorus of uh, the dryness in the rain, hmm. for example, on Brother Sister. Yeah, there is something, and because you know, I mean, we'll get there when when we get there. But obviously, like he's singing in another language, I believe Hebrew. Um, maybe Arabic. I can't. I don't know. But uh, but that is. It, there's a similar kind of quality where you can kind of imagine yourself just close your eyes and just kind of swing around <laughs> while mm -hmm. this is happening and sort of lose yourself in um, in in the driving kind of nature of uh, of the sounds that you're hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I would, I'll, I'll take the sitar vibe even further because as the jangly high, almost post-rocky. It's very post-rocky. I don't know yeah. if you've ever looked at tabs, but it's kind of, it's a weird pattern to play. Like if you're, mm -hmm. if you aren't playing in like, like to pick up an acoustic guitar, you like, it's kind of hard to replicate that except on electric. With sure. Some sort of distortion. Right. And, uh, but those and and the guitars playing off of each other continues this sitar South Asian Middle Eastern kind of vibe that we get, and I I love it. It's uh, yeah, it's mm -hmm. painting. It's it's weaving an interesting tapestry. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely. What it's uh, <laughs> supposed to imply to us, but yeah, I don't have a a clear specific image but i like all of that you're saying that it does mm -hmm. there is something potentially 
uh, March-like or, or even Marshall about it. Uh, and there's something sort of mystical about it at the same time. Wh- whatever image you imagine, I think the, the dynamic of it sounds like an approach. Like there's something that is at a greater distance and as you continue to listen, it's getting closer to you or you're getting closer to it. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it all fades in. So whatever it is, there's, there's a sense of coming into the presence of something um, that comes on full force whenever the whole band kicks in. Yeah. Um, and then that sense of approach is articulated even more because right before the opening line of the lyrics, there's this reverse vocal effect or something, almost like this yes, big yes, intake yes. of breath right to the down. Yeah, yeah uh, which I think enhances, yeah, it, and it enhances that mystical feeling. Yes. It, like it's, it's psychedelic in a way. It, yeah. it, to that point, it, it reminds me of tracks off of Revolver, the Beatles album. Like, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. what's the song I'm thinking of that uses reverse guitar? Um, yeah, Tomorrow Never Knows. Yes. At the Thank end. You. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 It's it's creating a similar effect. Both this re- there's reverse sounds going on throughout. There's distortion going on throughout. Even I think the drums have some probably post production distortion going on. Uh, at least in this opening part. Because again, this is another one of those songs where it's fe- it feels like it's being played in, in a cathedral. But now all of the instruments have that feeling instead of just yeah. the guitars while the drums and the bass are right up front in the mix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. At first, anyway. Just a word about the notes before we leave yep, the intro. So that riff in that's traded between the guitars um, shares something with seven sisters and that it is sort of hanging out in an ambiguous space somewhere between E minor and B minor. So we're in the same Mm -hmm. tonal landscape as the previous track. Mm -hmm. Um, It's maybe a little closer to E minor, but it it's all pitches that could have come straight out of seven sisters that were continued on. So even though we get that break after that flutey sound, and then we get this sound of an approach. Um, the the songs could have been blended back to back easily, and the music would have felt really flowing, continuous. And they made a conscious choice not to do that, even though they did that on some other songs on the album. Right. So that's mm-hmm. worth something that there was a road not taken that they they decided to make some mm. separation, and they and they chose to insert these weird sound effects at the end of one track and yeah. the beginning of the right. next. Yeah. Um. Can I say so something, something on that? Yeah, yeah. Because this is this is the start of side two on the vinyl, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, sure, they could have chosen to move something around to fit this song on side one, but I wonder if it was a conscious choice to not have that complete interconnectivity because they, at least in the context of vinyl, and I know right. it wasn't originally pressed on vinyl; that was after the original yeah. release. But mm-hmm. I don't it, know. There's yeah, something that's to, a fair point. to the the middle point. So uh, that, that middle point, but there's still some continuity. So like if yeah. you're flipping a record mm-hmm. there, you literally can't have the music continue, but right. as you start, it's familiar at first. Yeah. Mm. I, I'm tracking with you there. I think, I think the fact that it creates a convenient split for vinyl is just a happy accident because in yep. 2004, yeah. 
that mm-hmm. wasn't a, a concern. Almost no or consideration. one was pressing vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I do think there's something to creating a break at the midpoint of the album that I do think is intentional. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I want to talk about that as we go through the lyrics on this. But to me, as just a summary statement, I think every line pretty well in the Soviet has a direct counterpart in Seven Sisters that there's mm. there's a kind of a mirror image that starts to appear here. And I, and I talked plenty about mirror imagery within Seven Sisters that to me feels like a setup, basically saying, hey, pay attention. Like there's going to be some inversions and some backwardness that, that is going to be at stake here coming up soon. And, and you get that full force where almost every line in this, again, has its counterpart in, in the track we talked about last time. So we'll get there as we go through the lyrics. Uh, but it starts right out of the gate. God is love and love is real, but the dead are dancing with the dead. And whatever's charming disappears, while all things lovely only hurt my head. As I gather stones from fields, like pearls of water on my fingers' ends, and I carefully wrap them up in boxes safe from windows, from things that break. Hmm. So what an opening line, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one that I'm sure some of you listening have tattooed on your bodies somewhere. Mm-hmm. God is love and love is real. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not an Aaron Weiss original, like, like so many right. of his best lines. It's, it's borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So where does this come from, Nick? <laughs> yeah. So, um, interestingly, and don't have much on this, but, um, this line is a direct reference to two Ingmar Bergman films through a glass darkly, but also the end of the film Winter Light. Interesting aside, don't know much about it. It's a great line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so according to... A, a kind soul on genius.com, the, these mm-hmm. two Bergman references come up. Um, but then the, the comment that this, this genius, uh, mm-hmm. uh, comment, I don't know what the contributor, contributor the yes. comment yeah. <laughs> that this genius contributor puts is that, um, in through a glass darkly, the line is used as evidence that God exists and that life is good, but that in winter light, the line is used sarcastically to suggest that the proof of God's existence is simplistic and naive, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is yeah. about as classic Aaron Weiss as you can get. It is. E- even yes. if let's just pretend that contributor's incorrect, like that's still a really cool lens to look at this line and, and yeah. Aaron's usage of it. Because in a sense, it, this takes me back to what we were talking about last time with seven sisters. Like, there's so much complexity to it, but at the end, it's quite a simple thing, right? We've yeah. been talking about this the whole season. Yeah. So yeah. Like what it is to be good is to want one thing. Right. And that one right. thing is fairly simple on face value. Right. So just because it's simplistic and naive doesn't mean that's a bad thing, I suppose. No. No. <laughs> right. And and i so there's some there's some interesting connections here that i want to make that mm-hmm. i think could possibly be reaching a bit but it's just That's what it's we're here for. <laughs> it's interesting uh 
so the 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 language of love uh, in the New Testament is, I think, uh, it's very fascinating. Um, there's the famous First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, where the Apostle Paul is talking about love that you know people often have read at their weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Right. Um, there's also the whole letter of First John. Um, in the New Testament, which is entirely about the love of God. Um, and whenever I've heard this line, I have thought about First John, first and foremost. I, I, yes. act, I, my very first tattoo was the reference First John 4.19, which is, we love because God first loved us. Um, yeah. That, wow. you know, yeah. to be, I, you know, that, that was like uh, the best... Christian emo sort of <laughs> tattoo idea I could come <laughs> up with <laughs> when I was 19. Um, but yeah, so the reason why this is interesting is because the reference of Bergman's film, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the first film title uh, is Through a Glass Darkly, which actually is also a reference to 1 Corinthians 13. It is. Um, so... Yeah, tell me after more about all the that. stuff, That's fascinating. After all the stuff about love, Paul says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I set aside childish ways. Now we see, but a dim reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then he ends with, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, um, hmm. and so sometimes that you know the now we but see or see but a dim reflection as in a mirror is sometimes translated as now we see but uh, as through a glass darkly. Yeah, um, the King James has it through a glass darkly, right? So it's it's just yeah. There's uh, there's a lot of interesting connections there. Um, I yes. think in part because there's. There is something kind of there's something uh, I think epistemological going on, meaning something related to knowledge and Aaron's yeah. wrestling with knowledge and truth and what is real. I mean, we ended uh seven sisters with this uh with this line. And I'm expected to believe that any of this is real. And what is he doing? He's looking at his reflection. He's looking at his image in the water, right? As it's being distorted, shattered, like a bullet through a bottle, uh, as a stone drops through. And here we have right. all that same imagery in this first verse. He's gathering stones from fields, right? Um, all right, Stephen, he's talking, you're something with that. He's, uh... <laughs> he's referencing uh, he's referencing something that references this uh, this verse, right? This idea that uh, that we wow. cannot see the whole picture, right? And that that question that forces us. Um, well, I mean, Paul is not saying like that forces us to question whether or not any of this is real. Um, he's saying we we can only know in part now, right? And when we, uh, you know. Well, I mean, a lot of people interpret this as like, when we get to heaven, we'll know, uh, you will know everything. <laughs> right. I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. Um, but he essentially, he's saying, we don't, we don't have 
um, uh, we we are we are working our way toward a fuller knowledge, um, yeah. and part of that begins with uh, this recognition of the place of love in mm-hmm. our lives. Um, I mean, the you know the context of Corinthians is he's talking to a church, right? I mean, these letters for those of you who are not familiar with the New Testament, the the you know majority of the books that make up the second part of of the new testament after the gospels and the book of acts it's it's all letters that people wrote to each other mostly paul wrote to churches to try to encourage them um and so he he's he's admonishing this church to speak to each other in love the the chapter begins if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love. I am only a ringing gong or a clanging cymbal. Also, extremely famous verse that is referenced yeah. mm-hmm. all the time in literature and and stuff like that. Also, um, but he's basically the, saying, "Yeah, go ahead." It, you could read the sound at the opening of the Soviet as mm. that. <laughs> wow. Yes. Right. So there's, you know, I mean, Paul in this chapter is saying that like love, love is everything. Like it doesn't matter what knowledge you have. It doesn't matter what spiritual gifts you have. And Paul's big on spiritual gifts, but none of that matters without love. Um, and here Aaron is, uh, seems to be questioning that, uh, in a pretty strong way. Um, especially with the lines, whatever's charming disappears, all things lovely only hurt my head. Um, it, that that also so I know I'm throwing like a lot of different ideas out no, here. Sure. That that also reminds me of the kind of anti sentimentality of the modernist poets that um, that he's been referencing or that he seems to be at least implicitly drawing on. Right, right. The, this idea that things that are charming, things that are sentimental, things that are quote unquote lovely, like those. Those are bad in some in some way. I have some more things to say about about the pearls um, and water and and that kind of thing. But I, oh, I let's just pause there, I guess, and see yeah. if there's anything you all want to say. Yeah, I'm I'm tracking with you on yeah on okay. all that's, that. That's better than anything I had to say about the first line. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I, the, the phrase just the phrase specifically "God is love." I think is twice in First John. First John eight: yeah. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is mm-hmm. love. And then later mm-hmm. on in verse sixteen, and so we know and rely. On the love God has for us, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Right, and there's so it's also interesting. I guess just one other point. It, you know, if we're thinking about Aaron and his relationship to the church, right? Uh, both Paul and John are talking about uh, love in the context of a community. Mm-hmm. Right, they are mm-hmm. love in the context of how you relate to uh, other people, 
right? John talks a, a lot about loving your your brothers, right? And that kind of thing. So I think that you could also see in here, or, or at least it raises the question of, um, you know, what kinds of love are we talking about here? Uh, is it just strictly the love of God? If if it is the love of God, is it the love of God in the sense of First John and First Corinthians thirteen, where that love is is it's uh, you know it's love for uh, you know it, it's it's phylos, right? It's love for um, your your fellow member of the church or something right. like that. Right. It's the right. the namesake of the city of Philadelphia where this band comes right. from. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 It's city of brotherly love, right? Yeah. That's what they Right. Call That's it. right. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. Um okay. So the second the second half of what I read, as I gather stones from fields, like pearls of water on my fingers' ends, and I carefully wrap them up in boxes safe from windows. From things that break, so there's there's some interesting connections here, some repeated imagery, although in with like a bit of a twist, yeah. right? So if you go back to tie me up on tie me, mm -hmm. um, he uh, there's the verse where he's swimming, right, and then he sinks down. When I started sinking down, I thought for certain I would drown until I saw you in the ocean underneath. All the bright colored fish tell of a treasure in a dull shell. Such subtlety, so easily missed. You, my hidden pearl of pure and perfect love. And I'm the living example of 100% the opposite of this. Mm -hmm. um, so there's mention of love, pure and perfect love, right? The mention of, of the pearl. Mm -hmm. Now, what's different here, obviously, is that the stones are like pearls of water, water yes. on his fingers ends, which yeah. is, it's just, that's, that's a very, um, again, a, an example of metaphysical conceit, al mm -hmm. albeit a very, very short metaphor, but to say stones, to equate stones to pearls and not pearls from a clam, but pearls of water. Right. Um, the, the delicacy of yes. that, right, uh, is just is interesting. And I'm, yeah, I, I'm wondering if if you all have. I, I'm going to shut up now and see if you all have any ideas about yeah. why he's gathering stones from the fields. Like, what is that about? Well, so I, I have something on the stones from fields, but I'm going to start with the pearls of water because. I'm 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 leaning into the second half. This is the beginning of the second half of the album thing more and more as we're mm -hmm, talking. Mm -hmm. So he, if we're taking there's no narrative arc per se, but there was a lot of descending into water imagery. This could be a moment of potential ascension, because what causes you to have pearls of water on your fingers ends leaving water and the water's dripping down your arms onto your fingers yeah. and then it's mm -hmm. beating up right or or at least your arm is out of the water or what have you so i just think that's an interesting connection there especially with the freight train sound of becoming we're coming to proximity and what happens when you've been underwater for a moment for a while and then you 
emerge, sound gets really weird for a second because it's amplified differently underwater versus in the yeah. open air. Uh, so that's that's yeah. just kind of cool. I don't know. Okay. I know okay. that's not going to track because of the consecrated whale and things like that um, later on in the album. But in this song, anyway, that's pretty neat. Roll with this for a second, though. Okay, so Please. think of the last image from Seven Sisters. He, he's looking at his own face in the water. He throws a rock through, sees his own face shatter, and then oh says, gosh. I'm expected to believe that any of this is real. After he's just been thinking about killing himself, Imagine now that whatever body of water he's looking into, he actually falls in either on purpose for certain he would drown or just just in being transfixed with the moment of seeing his own face explode, whatever he he falls down in the water, just loses himself. Right. And he's under for a minute. And I love what you just said there, hearing the strange opening of this song, not just as an interesting musical gesture, but as the sound of rising from under a body of water mm -hmm. right you're in silence and as you get closer to the surface the sound mm. gets louder it fades in and then that right before he says god is love that intake of breath literally could yes. depict him coming out of the water <gasps> just gasping for air mm. and the first words out of his mouth after having uttered i'm expected to believe that any of this is real is him just like desperately saying god is love and love is real almost yes. like in defiance of his own death yes Right. Mm, yeah. I love that. <laughs> we also just totally invented a uh, new music video for this song. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, you can play this in your head. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Every time you listen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We also s have skipped talking about the second half of the line. Oh, I was going to wait because I want to, I want to read. I, I, it, I think it's worth reading most of the reference okay. the thing that's referencing. Okay. We'll come so, back to the dead or yes. dancing with the dead. Yes. Um, uh, cause that's, that's worth its own conversation. But to answer Joel, your question about the stones to me, that is a direct parallel with torches together. We'll tell all the stones. We're going to make a building. We'll be cut into shape and set into place. Or if you'd rather be a window, I'll gladly be the frame. We have that parallel here with gathering stones from fields. For what end? I've always tied this song with torches together. Like, yeah, it's. I'm just referencing the song. I'm just referencing the stones that we gathered to. Well, because I was, I was, I was thinking that. I was also thinking, like, is this? Is he gathering the stones? Like, is this somehow happening before Seven yeah. Sisters? Like, he's picking up the stones to go drop that's, in that's at, on his reflection. But there's, but there's also, it is really interesting. Like this, uh, where because he says mm -hmm. safe from windows. Right. And in Torches Together, let's just, I'm going to read this, what you were just referencing, Nick. Um, Why burn poor and lowly? Tell all the stones we're going to make a building. We'll be cut into shape and set into place. Or if you'd rather be a window, I'll, I'll gladly be the frame. Yep. Reflecting any kind words will let in all the blame and ruin our reputation yep. all the same. Um, so there, again, mm -hmm. there's mention of mm -hmm. reflection. <laughs> right. Um, there's uh, this keeping the keeping the stones that are like pearls of water on his fingers ends safe from windows. Yep. Yeah. So okay, <laughs> Stephen's face. Oh, oh man, dear listener, Ooh, I wish you could see man. all of us just grinning. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they're keeping. 
I, I believe we referenced that line from Torches Together being a continuation of speaking to the stones, right? So mm-hmm. if the stones want to become the front, like the window, you know, have a hole cut in them maybe or something. Yeah. Um, but now we're going to keep them safe from the windows, which reflect all the kind words and let in all the blame. And I don't think we made this parallel back then, but I'm just going to say it now because it's stuck in my head. What do windows let in? Light. What is light? But mm-hmm. from God, from the divine. So the yeah. blame is coming from God. We've I've been thinking about this album all yeah. the wrong ways. That's that's <laughs> all been internal. Yeah. So it's like that's that's the truth coming through. Is, yes. is the blame yes. and the kind words just bounce off. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the dead, dancing with the dead. Second line of the song, but the dead are dancing with the dead, is a pretty direct reference to the Oscar Wilde poem, The Harlot's House, which is a little bit long, but it has enough parallels to previous songs. Uh, The title of the of the poem is great um, along with a few other things that you'll see as we go through this. So um, I think it's worth reading in full. Yeah. We caught the tread of dancing feet. We loitered down the moonlit street and stopped beneath the harlot's house inside above the din and fray. We heard the loud musicians play the treus libus Hertz of Strauss. That's a mouthful. Like strange mechanical grotesques making fantastic arabesques, the shadows raced across the blind. We watched the ghostly dancers spin to sound of horn and violin, like black leaves wheeling in the wind, like wire-pulled automatons, slim silhouetted skeletons, skeletons. When sidling through the slow quadrille, they took each other by the hand and danced a stately saraband. Their Their laughter echoed thin and shrill. Sometimes a clockwork puppet pressed a phantom lover to her breast. Sometimes they seemed to try to sing. Sometimes a horrible marionette came out and smoked its cigarette upon the steps like a live thing. Then, turning to my love, I said, The dead are dancing with the dead. The dust is whirling with the dust. But she, she heard the violin, and she left my side and entered in. Love passed into the house of lust. Then suddenly the tune went false, the dancers wearied of the waltz, the shadows ceased to wheel and whirl, and down the long and silent street the dawn with silver sandaled feet crept like a frightened girl. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot going on. Wow. Yeah, could I just, I, I just want to just make just one kind of general comment. I mean, I think that what's so interesting about all these references, I, I think most people kind of just get the sense broadly, uh, maybe even subconsciously in some way, listening to me without you, that there's some kind of 19th century quality. And we've talked about that a lot. And what's so interesting is that like, you really see it kind of just like coming out of like every (laughs) aspect almost of the band. Right. Because when you start to really dig into these references, you see like, oh, okay. Like there's so much uh, like reading yes. behind uh, all these lyrics. Um, and it's just cool to kind of see like that mm-hmm. evidence like coming out like in these 
uh, in these references and reading these poems and um, yeah, yeah, I'm taken back to our conversations <laughs> last season of Edgar Allan Poe. Like uh, again, like it. Yes, exactly. Great. Yes, yes, yes. Well, what's it? What's interesting about that is that we were, you know, we were talking about um, ornamental patterns mm-hmm. in the last episode, and and mm-hmm. the use of arabesque. Here we have the the word arabesque uh, used again. Um, there's there's a lot to be said about kind of U.S. and uh, and British uh, sort of um, yep. uh, Orientalism, uh, the kind of fascination, sort of racist fascination with uh, mm-hmm. Eastern spirituality uh, that kind of feeds into these these images. I, that's that's maybe too far afield. That's another discussion. But um, you know, when we talked about Poe, I also mentioned. Uh, uh, a, a writing style of Poe's in, uh, in particular mm-hmm. in the fall of the house of Usher called arabesque where there, the parts of the story have this kind of geometrical interlocking sort of feel to them. Um, and that's a, you know, yeah. also a li- right. it's a literary term, right. To describe that, uh, that way of writing. So it's just, you know, there's not necessarily a deep uh, connection there or thing to read into, but it's just interesting that these terms keep cropping well, up. I wish in I could remember ways. the term, but like the even if you don't know any of these references, you still get that 19th century vibe, and and it it just it is the thing. Like because yes. it's steeped in all of these references, even if you never dug deeply. I'm sure if you asked enough, you would have that, you know, like I said, Soviets, but I, I mean, I am thinking like right around the turn of the century, early Soviet army. Sure. That's kind of the image that that's brought to me with the marching quality. So yeah. again, it's, uh, it's really fascinating. Let's call out some of these other direct references. So the dancing feet, that feels more like more aligned with A to B life to me, you know, kept on dancing yeah you know the record ended um the spinning of the dancing the sound of a violin the, the leaves we get those again but these leaves are dead the black leaves wheeling in mm-hmm. the wind there's constant imagery of wheeling things yeah but then the two stanzas that are a very direct reference in this song then turning to my love i said the dead are dancing with the dead the dust is whirling with the dust but she, she heard the violin and she left my side and entered in love passed into the house of lust. So I want to say something about that here. Yeah, please. Because we had this whole discussion about disaster tourism mm-hmm. and sort of in the process of that conversation came up, at least with, with a theory that that whole song is potentially depicting like a church mission trip to Amsterdam to the red light district <laughs> mm-hmm. and that the, the relational mm-hmm. dynamics going mm-hmm. on are possibly between Aaron and another woman from the church, possibly even Amanda, who is the subject of all of a to B life and will right. be named before the end of this album. So if you drop into that scene, then this mm-hmm. poem works as an almost like beat for beat gloss of the trajectory of that song. Yes. But the detail that this adds is, is that one of this her stepping into the house at the end of this. And, and so it begs the question, was that a moment of division? Was that a rift between the two of them? Hmm. 
mm-hmm. that now the whole whole pattern of this album is is spinning out of that because this is in fact the song where the word catch for us the foxes come in he said he's a nest by a foxhole so this um this oscar wilde poem could be read just as easily right alongside disaster tourism and makes sense as a perfect companion to that song mm-hmm. so mm. If you take that, assume that he is seeing his own life in this poem by Oscar Wilde in the episode that is captured in Disaster Tourism, and then drop that in here, now you have this God is love and love is real that's doing all the work it is, both as as sort of a, a defiant response against his most recent statement that I'm expected to believe that any of this is real, loaded with all the double meaning and either the sincerity or the irony of these Bergman references that that use this phrase. But if you just take it at face value, God is love and love is real, even if you take that as being sincere from Aaron, not mm-hmm. like he's quoting somebody, but like he's just making this statement, the very next thing within the same breath is him denying his own sincerity or denying the sentimentality or whatever. And we, we see this pattern showing up more and more, right? Yes. And so his response to his own like way of surviving this moment, emerging from the waters or whatever, (laughs) saying God is love and love is real. The next thought that comes to mind, but the dead are dancing with the dead. And he's, he's remembering this scene in Amsterdam Mm. now. Yeah. And that, casts the shadow over the thing that he was just trying to to remind himself of to get out of this moment. Does that make sense? It does. Yes. It does. And again, I feel like I'm now <laughs> I keep <laughs> this whole season. I feel like I just like am bringing in these random literary references that maybe work, maybe they don't, but there there is um there's a pattern again in modernist literature uh, of writing certain ways about death and the dead mm-hmm. um, that I feel like is the even even if it's not always being referenced directly in the lyrics of these tracks. There's like a similar um, there's a similar kind of quality. Uh, to Aaron's contemplation uh, of death, his reject, seeming rejection of sentimentality. So you have uh, this direct reference to the Oscar Wilde poem. Yeah, this line also the phrase, just the phrase "the yeah. dead," makes me think of the short story by James Joyce titled "The Dead," um, mm. which is not from the 19th century, but 1914. So pretty close. Um, But that, that's a really interesting story that where, again, you have a character similar to the narrator of the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, which was written almost around the exact same time as Joyce's the dead. Um, Mm -hmm. T.S. Eliot actually said that the dead was the greatest short story ever written. Um, It it is of extremely powerful, uh, story, but the basic premise is the main character is this guy named Gabriel uh, Conroy Conway Gabriel Conway Conroy, yeah, um, 
and he's hosting this dinner party. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, he's like going through the motions of, uh, you know, modern decorum and, and say, talking the, about these niceties. They talk about music, they talk about religion. Um, and then Gabriel, at one point, there's this very famous line, which I have here, where Gabriel says sort of offhand uh, to one of the guests that, quote, we are living in a skeptical, thought-tormented age, um, which that seems to capture so well what Aaron is going through Absolutely. in this whole album, right? He is himself just completely um, torn up about his skepticism. He is thought-tormented, right? And what happens at the end of this story is that, um, you know, they're, the guests are, are taking turns singing songs, as you do at the turn of the 20th century, right? right. Around the piano. Um, yeah. And one of, the, one of the guests sings this song called The Lass of, of Agram. And Gabriel's wife, Greta, um, kind of departs and she gets upset. And, and she's upset because... Uh, this boy that she was in love with when he was when they were very young, seventeen, used to sing that song to her, and he died. Um, he got this illness. He insisted on coming to see her and sing this song to her, and she had always believed that because he went out in the winter, in the cold, in the rain, that he got his sickness worsened and he died in order to see her, um, and that. Like, Gabriel's never heard this before. He's, like, sort of beside himself that that his wife has been harboring these, like, feelings for this young man. But what's really beautiful and, and I think parallels the uh, what's happening in, in Wilde's poem to a certain extent is that Gabriel, in thinking about this, this dead 17-year-old boy who still has such an effect on his wife he stands at the window and he's watching the snow fall uh, and he's watching it cover everything um, and the, and Joyce ends the narrative by sort of expanding into this like very surreal universal kind of all encompassing idea of the snow uh, falling on uh, everyone, he says, it's falling faintly through the universe, right? Mm. Uh, upon all the living and the dead. That's how the story ends. Mm. Um, and there's there's something going on in this album that I think is similar, right? There's uh, there's a wrestling here with the nature of death, um, and it's especially in juxtaposition to its. Uh, seeming opposite life, right? That there's a kind of um, there, there's a sort of complementarity, almost. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I don't want to suggest that, like, um, that, like, oh, you know, Aaron's thoughts about suicide are actually are are actually good because they're somehow life. Like, no, no, no. That you know right. that you know those references are very, very serious and they should be taken very seriously. Um, 
but I think that in these thoughts about death, not necessarily the suicide, but um, thoughts about, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, Th- thoughts about death and and the kind of universality of it and the um, its juxtaposition to or or tension with something like love, life, God being those things. Um, you know, death is a kind of metaphor, like Stephen, as you were saying for, you know, the people in Amsterdam who are like the walking dead in in a way, or the the dancing dead, you know? Um, yeah, there, there's just a lot. And, and there's, you know, I, I also, you know, just want to mention another T.S. Eliot poem, the wasteland, right. Mm -hmm. Which the first, the first, uh, part of which is titled the burial of the dead. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is all about, um, the death of, uh, you know, the, the sort of life that comes out of the dead plants, right? right. It, the, the poem begins, April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow, feeding a little life with dead tubers. So and it, it goes on and on and on. But, um, but yeah, there, there's, again, a very interesting, you know, what Elliot is doing there is this interesting juxtaposition or complementarity of of life and death, um, which I think mirrors in some ways Aaron's feelings about like doubt and certainty, right? And yeah. other kinds of binaries that he's wrestling with on this album. You see a lot of like very similar poetic modes, I guess is the way to put it. Um yeah you know, with that, that parallel these modernists. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's just really fascinating. But I love it too, because he's, he's not necessarily in agreement with them about their views of sentimentality. Sure. In, in in evidence of that, how much of this is whimsical in, in a sense, how much of it is, is playing with an image that they would use that feels like very, obvious uh, like on its face value and then he's twisting and adding whimsy or or mystical natures uh, to yes especially and i think some of this tension that you're talking about joel is accentuated by you know he is grappling with so much here but one of the things he's grappling with is what it means to believe in an eternal soul Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i would say and so to me, that just adds more. If you're someone who believes in an eternal soul, but also believes in sin, the dead, i.e. the walking dead in, in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. you know, the, the yeah. dead who are dancing and spinning to the violin music, mm-hmm. because they have damned themselves, they are dead. Like, that's what true dead may be right. versus right. those who have eternal life post mm. The, the, this shell that we are in. Yeah. But again, I really don't want to say that to say there's anything positive about suicide um, that I don't think that's what Aaron is saying either. Those are just the right. thoughts going through his mind as he's grappling with this. It's more an exercise in that. I, I don't, I certainly don't think that every uh, reference explicit or implicit to death in this album is tied to suicide. I think much no. of it is just grappling with the fact of death. And what does that mean? Yes. Yes. Literally, yes. but yes. also poetically. And, and I think that. And spiritually. Um, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I don't want to lean too heavy into this, but but one possibility I've, I've thought of with this line, the dead are dancing with the dead, in addition to every other angle, is to think back to the last reference to dancing that we've heard. Mm-hmm. And in Seven Sisters, God is the one who is dancing in his mm. chest. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And so we get that reference, and then the second time he says it, and you dance inside my chest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's this line about God dancing that is what spins him out into his et cetera, as he can't even finish the thought. Yes. Yeah. So lean into that. If the dead are dancing with the dead and God is dancing in his chest, then perhaps in this moment, we also have a reflection on like his, his own spiritual death, as well as the death of God, like all wrapped up together. Mm-hmm. That. Mm-hmm. That immediately after the line, God is love and love is real, but this dead God is dancing with this dead man, and none of this yeah. is real, right? It's it's like it's jumping right back into the thought at the end of the the last song. Just a, a shout out for. For modernism and man, we haven't we have not made it out of the first verse. Of this <laughs> uh, song. What is wrong with us? I know, but nothing. But Joel, Joel, back in the beginning it's my of the fault season. this time. Well, <laughs> and we also read a twelve stanza poem. So <laughs> <laughs> just you wait till we get to Song of Songs. <laughs> oh God, I know we're not even there yet. Yeah. Nope. At the beginning of this season, you talked about this prevailing metaphor of a rhizome. Mm, is yeah, that the yeah, word mm-hmm. versus yes, a yes. root system and how things emerge from that? Well, I, well ry- rhizome versus uh, versus like a tree. So yeah, the, ry- right, the rhizome yeah. is the root system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I just wanted to suggest that this extensive, totally non-linear conversation we're having about the first verse of this song is <laughs> strong <laughs> evidence that you're onto something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fair, yes. fair. Yes, thank um, you for thank you for tying that back in. No, I no, forgot about that. Yeah, I beca- and I think you're absolutely right, though, Stephen, to bring that back up because we get this cross song metaphysical conceit, like tying us back to windows and stones and water throughout yeah. multiple tracks. Like yes. the metaphors get stronger it, within this song, having the context of the other tracks on the album, which is just a a really effective means of writing. I mean, remember how much listen, it means more. It does literally every time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to predict now just for, for all the listeners that, uh, every season, the episodes are just going to get longer and longer. (laughs) So brother, sister, it's going to be like two, two and a half hours, an episode we get to, it's all crazy. It's going to be three hours an episode. Uh, I don't know how we're going to record, uh, untitled. untitled. (laughs) This would be like five hour episode. (laughs) Oh God. But it's I have more references all the way down. <laughs> good, yeah. good. Okay, this this is a quick one, and this is a this is a long shot. But but just to keep keep all this together, yep. I wanted to read the opening line again, or lines, I guess, of of the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky, like a patient etherized upon a table. 
Let us go <laughs> through certain half-deserted streets, uh, the muttering retreats of restless nights in one-night cheap hotels. I mean, we already get a flurry of images here, but more than the imagery, I'm concerned with the technique of taking this opening line, let us go then you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky, this lovely mm -hmm. romantic gesture followed immediately by like a patient etherized upon a table. Yeah. Honestly, that is the most, that is arguably the most famous uh, uh, simile in, in modernist poetry. <laughs> that, that, is, that is a line that is talked about uh, constantly. Okay. Um, because of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It, that it's like so uh, jarring, that juxtaposition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I just want to say, it seems to me, in addition to some actually explicit references to modernist poetry, it seems like Aaron has so imbibed that, that his just instincts for what to do here are yes. to take a romantic image and immediately jar us out of it into something that is not beautiful at all. Yes. 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 Yeah. No, that's great. But, but in that way, <laughs> he's going into a postmodern perspective because, again, he's twisting the tendencies of the movement. Yeah. Like, I, mm, there is a mm -hmm. sentimentality to this. There, there are mystical natures to it. He's not trying to put everything in a box, neat and tidy. Yeah. Yeah. He's that's not true. just mm -hmm. being clever to be clever. There's a, there's a deeper meaning. Yeah to that. Yeah. And I, oh man. Yeah. Well, so clearly, I mean, in the last song and in this one, he's taken multiple direct quotes or very close paraphrases, stitched them together seamlessly into something that sounds like his own line, and then immediately offered his own original words as commentary on that in a way that it all yes. just fits right together. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, it's, it's something else. Um, another quick word about keeping <laughs> rocks mm -hmm. safe from windows. You can look at, at torches together. You can also yeah. look to yeah. disaster tourism. If the yeah. stones are the members of the church, keeping them safe from the windows, which yes. is where the ladies of the night are, are right above their heads. Uh, and I'm sure there's more. I mean, we could just stay on this forever. I mean, you could. <laughs> we will stay on it forever. Embrace us. Sorry, <laughs> <Our> everyone. <laughs> okay, whatever. Like the story of David and Goliath. David runs out into the field and gathers no, yeah, the yeah. stones. Yeah, David and Goliath, exactly. But the Oscar Wilde <laughs> oh, poem, man. too, with the with the blinds and the shadows of yes. the dancing figures on it. Like yes. it, 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 I this onion has infinite layers. So, y'all, this if, is <laughs> if I got hired to to score a film about David and Goliath and. Me without you deigned to give me the rights. I would just use the opening of this song as like the pump up <laughs> moment where he's like, you know, getting ready to swing this thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Right. It, or a football movie. If I got hired to do the score for a football film, <laughs> I, I'd use this there song too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I'm going to read the next verse. Facing the Giants. We're never going to move Oh, wait. On. There's another verse. Facing the Other Giants, the sequel. <laughs> Remember when I said before we started recording, like, ah, oh, there's not that many lyrics. This this episode should be three episodes. Yes, I'm yes. already sensing. <laughs> okay, go. We're leaving go. all Second of these verse. laughs in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As the nighttime shined like day, it saw my sorry face and hair a mess, but it liked me best that way. Besides, how else could I confess when I looked down, like if to pray? While I was looking down her dress, good God, please catch for us the foxes in the vineyard, the little foxes. 
Shall we start at the beginning? <laughs> just to keep uh, some yeah, semblance yeah. of linear sure. movement here. Okay. Yeah. As the nighttime shined like day brings us into the world of the the reference to God in the previous song. Yeah. Right away. Come quick, you light that knows no evening. There's something yep. about this day that goes mm -hmm. through, which which brings to mind um, in the book of Revelation, this image that in the new Jerusalem, that the lamb will be the light and there is no more sun and moon. They're not needed anymore because mm -hmm. the lamb in the middle of the city is shining all the time. Um, <clears throat> but any other any other light and dark images in this album that come to mind? I, well, so I was going to suggest, um, you know, places where nighttime shines like day are places where there are lots of electric lights. Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, New York is obviously referred to as the city that never sleeps. But also, uh, I mean, Amsterdam, <laughs> the, the red light district yes. is a night in the Arctic. <laughs> Right or the north, anyway, and the Arctic. Yeah, That's okay, but but yeah, the farther sure. north you get, both there's red electric lights, but there's also just the proximity mm -hmm. to the North Pole. Right, means that yeah. there's seasons of the year mm -hmm. where the nighttime literally does shine like day, even if you turn all the lights off. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's, you know, I, I think because there's, it, it's hard to know exactly what what the narrator is talking about because there's no context for this confession. We don't know right. when this happened or what the circumstances were or whose dress. Um, you know, right. it's just, he did this thing when he was supposed to be praying, right? Which to him, you know, it seems, seems to suggest that he, man, I don't want to jump, you know, too far ahead here, sure. but uh, it, it, it does seem to suggest that he thinks that it's somehow even more egregious because he was pretending to pray, but he was really doing something else. It's it's also just uh, fascinating that the that little lines like this sort of made it through, uh, you know, to be sold in. Uh, in Christian bookstores, yes. where I bought it, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's not, it's not like um, terribly sexual or anything like that, but it is, it is definitely suggestive. And uh, I know that this is a line that, um, the that a lot of evangelicals <laughs> have talked about, right? And it's sort of brought up like as a kind of like naughty, <laughs> and naughty is the right word because it's. It's, <laughs> I think, a little bit silly to to be to have any sort of like uh, you know vapors or whatever over <laughs> over a line like this, but but people do like people do bring it up um, in sort of the evangelical underground music world is like ooh Aaron was looking down someone's dress you know like how like. <laughs> How scandalous! Yeah, yeah. Kind of, uh, you know, it's just a. That's yeah. Well, scan scandal only exists in the presence of a taboo, and we live now in, in right. the broadest cultural sense in a world with very few taboos. There mm -hmm. certainly are true some left, but but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the 1960s until today, some would argue maybe earlier than that. There's been a general regression of taboos, from, especially from like like sexual mores within 
Western yeah. culture. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. within the culture yeah. of the aughts of, you know, evangelical music, like. It, it's interesting because I, I do think that this actually still would be seen as taboo, uh, but for very different reasons. Like for the reason that like, this is a violation of, <laughs> of her, uh, a, a person of her and her autonomy and right. her body. Yes. Right. Um, you know, so I didn't mean to like, uh, laugh it off earlier. Just, just thinking about like, the way that uh, that evangelical culture sort of um, thinks about sexuality in this very kind of chaste way, right? When actually, what is happening here is not good, but for not the reasons that evangelical exactly. culture yeah. thinks it's not good. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so, and, so, yeah. and some of that yeah. has to do with power distance too, right? I mean, if if there was yes. a, a pastor standing on a pulpit saying. When I looked down as if to pray, I was looking down her dress. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Right? That reads very differently <laughs> right. yeah. than potentially like two different. people on a youth group trip or something. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Right, right, right. If, if sure, we're seeing sure. this as a almost recapitulation of the time in Amsterdam, yeah. that's that's how I read that line anyway, yeah. as maybe it was the girl who either entered the harlot's house or was the shining lights, you know, the, the perfect example. Um, yeah. Or anything in between. Well, she may have been the object of his lust in this moment or yes. another woman on, yeah. the, on the trip. Well, either in, way. Yeah. If, if we're going to keep this in the landscape of disaster tourism, of course there is that line, which I suggested may even be the women inside the building mm -hmm. saying, come to the window, she carries a candle in midday. Exactly. Right. They're already yeah. referring to what is almost certainly the nighttime as midday mm -hmm. and that she's carrying a candle. Mm -hmm. So the nighttime shines like mm -hmm. day from that angle as well. Ooh. Yep. I like that. I really do. Yeah. Also, this this ties right back into to the image from A to B Life, right? Mm -hmm. I can't remember the mm -hmm. color of her eyes, just the shape of her dress. Shape of her dress. Yep. Yep. Or sure shape, is it color of your eyes, just the shape of your dress? I forget if it's a direct. Yeah. I, th I think it's her. Your, I, think. I think it's your. Oh, you oh really? Oh. Well, just, let's find out. Yeah, let's find out. <laughs> uh, it is. I'm, I'm thinking about it more, and it is your. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the I tried, but I can't eyes. remember the color of your eyes, just the shape of your dress. Yes, yeah. yes. So imagine just for a minute that this fated trip to Amsterdam that has now suddenly <laughs> become ground zero for this entire album uh, in our imaginations <laughs> um, possibly could have happened before the events even of A to B life and that that, that line in that album oh, yeah. could be a reference to the same moment. Of course, he can't remember the color of her eyes. They were closed. <laughs> like she was bowing her head in prayer. Oh, I like mm -hmm. that. I like that as an alternate reading for sure. That's fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, to 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 add some levity to <laughs> a very dense conversation. Yeah. The response to his own <laughs> behavior, good God, please, is is at once a a very sincere prayer and also just makes me think of james brown every time i hear this part of the song good god yeah <laughs> oh wow good god.
That's good. That's incredible. Oh, so just like just meme this in your imagination of all like Aaron dancing on stage, but like just you know shuffling his ankles really quick right here when he hits this part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we get the title <laughs> line. Yes, finally. Finally. So. Okay, so we we talked about this uh, in the overview episode when we were talking about the title of the album, and I, if I recall correctly, all three of us were mm, rightfully confounded um, by <laughs> by this <laughs> reference. Um, so just to, remi- exactly. <laughs> to to remind everybody, this is uh, Song of Songs chapter two, um, and basically, I mean, so just to reiterate what Song of Songs or Song of Solomon is, uh, it is a book of poetry uh, in the Old Testament slash Hebrew Bible. Um, It is love poetry. Uh, In evangelical culture, it's sort of used primarily as a, as in not exactly a how to guide for, for love, but it's sort of a validation. I think for a lot of, conservative evangelicals that like sexual love is actually okay because you, you have it or, or that, that lust for your marriage partner is okay because here you have all these examples of what is, uh, I mean, at times quite sexually explicit, uh, language in, Mm -hmm. in, um, this book of the Bible. Um, so I, I don't think it's really necessary to read all of it um, because I think it's enough to just say, like many of the chapters and poems in Song of Songs, you have this dynamic of a she character and a he character sort of speaking back and forth to each other. That's what makes up a lot of the poetry in this book. Yes. Um, and so that's what you have here. And it's, you know, the the she character talking about her beloved and he's leaping across mountains and he's so young and strong and Mm -hmm. hot and all this stuff. And then the he character in verse 14 says this, my dove in the clefts of the rock in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. And, you know, I think that the, probably the straightforward reading of the biblical text is that the vineyard that is in bloom is their love, Mm -hmm. right? That their love is this kind of perfect, but fragile thing. And the foxes is something that could potentially ruin that, right? right? Literally. I mean, it's what it says. The foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Our vineyards that are yeah. in bloom. Yeah. And so yeah. if you put that in the context of what he's saying in the verse that's preceding it, right, he's coaxing his dove, his beloved, right, to to come out, to do something, right, to show her face, to to do these things that I think the suggestion is will keep the foxes out or will catch the foxes, will yes. prevent the foxes somehow from ruining the vineyard, right? But mm-hmm. it, it is, it's interesting because the, you know, when it continues then, the she character doesn't really 
respond to that. She just goes on. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. And that's how it ends. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. What, what do you guys have to say about this? Well, I have one complicating factor, which is the infinitely fun uh, comparing different translations. Um, oh, oh, yes, yeah. of course. Um, so the Berrien Study Bible is it's very comparable. I think it's a, maybe a little less lyrical than the uh, translation you were just reading from, Joel. But mm-hmm. it has the he character still saying the oh, my dove bit. But then it inserts these characters, the friends, to say the line, mm. catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. Which is interesting, specifically given the context of Torches Together yeah. and the hmm. silent audience that we've had for some of the other tracks. To have them be the possible ones to be speaking, possibly. Uh, is yeah. very interesting. But, you know, looking at some of the other translations, they don't do that. It's it's the he character saying the whole um, 14 and 15. So, hmm. yeah, just mm-hmm. thought that was an I, interesting bit. I certainly haven't done any research on, on this book from the biblical text, but I have a, a vague sense from things that I've picked up here and there that there, there are debates about who is supposed to be speaking at any given moment. And there is at least one line of thought that there's this third collective voice that appears throughout this thing. And that, so that would make sense that that's, that's one translator's decision to go with right there. But if you put Mm -hmm. that in the, the voice of the group and then drop this back into the song, here's, here's what I want to propose to both of you and to all of you listening as a, as a way to read this moment is just to keep pressing in to this moment of crisis in this song being mm-hmm. a further reflection of a particular event within the frame of disaster tourism. Mm. So if this is a group from church that are here in Amsterdam, imagine they they are all praying together for whatever the actual like method of this mission is going to be which i'm Mm -hmm. struggling to picture exactly what they intend to do to go go into the brothel (laughs) and just start striking up conversations i don't know Uh, (laughs) oh my gosh or you just walk in the room and like can we just talk can we can we talk about the lord um, <laughs> <laughs> have you heard, do you know have the you Lord? Yeah. Heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh. So, oh, man. so picture all that. But it's like, you know, okay, imagine again the opening of this track is is like the intro music to a scene in a football movie, except it's not now a football movie, it's a missionary movie, and they're all like putting their heads together in the huddle to to pray <laughs> and then break and then go out to their decided doors. And and they're in the huddle and they're praying and and our narrator's eyes are open looking down the dress of this woman who, when they break, <laughs> maybe strays from the actual plan and just walks into the door of one of these places on doing her own thing and for who knows what reason. But but back to this Oscar Wilde poem for a minute that the beloved just walks into the harlot's house, right? And yeah. 
and maybe maybe something about all of that is is this signature moment that's that actually did spin out into the crisis that this album is depicting that somehow this created a rift and you can fill in whatever details you want there but then good god please is almost like a almost like a just a a, a cry of desperation and then catch rest the foxes in the vineyard the little foxes is not in his voice necessarily it could be in the voice of the whole group there that okay break this is our mission we're gonna go catch for us the foxes right uh right you can read it that way mm -hmm. right that the foxes are maybe behind these windows um, yeah sure you can also read it that like he is it is aaron's voice maybe echoing something he's heard here but like he's worried about his own heart his own lustful tendencies we just saw in i was looking down her dress he's also had these ladies up in the windows he can see at a distance all within mm -hmm. the same scene and so he's maybe just like praying to god catch for us the foxes like that are ruining his own vineyard in his own heart or something right in this mm -hmm. moment yeah it's ruining himself maybe it's ruining his relationship with this specific other woman maybe with the whole mm -hmm. church group i mean maybe this was the beginning of a dissolution of this whole community that something just went down in amsterdam that they don't talk about anymore <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> like that. you know like does that all seem plausible or at least like a valid reading yeah. just that makes this album interesting to listen to it does yeah, yeah totally i just put a very fine point on it but that's like one pathway. I don't want to say that that's specifically what happened no, here. Because I, no. I, I don't think that's doing any sort of poetry much of a service <laughs> to say specifically, Agreed. literally, this mm -hmm. is what it's about. Uh, but it's fun. So so what what else do you see in the fox's neck? So the fact that he so let's put it back in the context of the song and put Song of Songs, Song of Solomon aside, which yeah. as a brief sidebar to that. Another translation, King James has the he as Solomon, which mm -hmm. is interesting. I didn't mm, realize yeah. that. That's pretty cool. Um, anyway. I he, would just, just as a word, yeah. uh, I would take anything the King James Bible says with the smallest grain of salt. Um, <laughs> or the largest. It's like, or the largest grain of salt. Yeah. Um, yeah, the King James is not a great new no. translation. No, um, but I mean, but it just, is fun to talk about. But yeah. artistically, <laughs> it's beautiful language. I mean, you oh, can't get over it's it. Great, but they did—they didn't have the yeah. same source texts that people have had for the last no. four hundred years. No, that's the yeah, right. that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is the problem. So anyway, no good. Uh, good looking out because. I just want to throw that out there for for anyone listening who's like, oh, the King James Bible. I know Maybe that I'll one. Just check that out. Yeah, yeah. No, please. <laughs> I mean, it is the original <laughs> version that God wrote before it was translated into Hebrew right. and Greek. But, yes, <laughs> that's right. But yes. aside from that, you can you can put it right. on the table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's these and thous in it, so that means that it must be from God. Oh my god! It has these and thou <laughs> and thy, thine. You know all that God. <laughs> language oh, english yeah. directly from god yeah exactly anyway Clearly. sorry <laughs> go ahead <laughs> so just to put this back in the context of the song when i looked down like if to pray while i was looking down her dress good god please catch for us the foxes so he's claiming that immediately after doing the sinful lustful thing right so yeah to catch for us the foxes is metaphorically he's speaking about himself in a sense potentially too mm. so we've been we've been projecting that onto other things going on, like stop these 
these harlots from causing me to think lustfully. But right. much of the rest of the album has been self-effacing, has been how am yeah. I not anything that I want to be despite what I've been doing? So Catch for Us the Foxes then becomes almost the thoughts running through his head, the words on pages that turns into fragments, circles, points, and lines, like whatever that may be. Those those little foxes, though, could be a whole litany, a whole myriad of things. Yeah. Be merciful. Let's move to the last part of the song and see if yes, it sure. can comment on this and add any more clarity Please, yeah. to it. So here's after after a really, really great musical breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not that's the wrong register. Right? It's just I mean that's cool. Like yeah. it's it's kind of in the same landscape as the other bass lines on this album, but mm-hmm. it's less funky because it's it's pretty driving at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's got that fuzz on it. Um, there's some like feedback sounds in the guitars, the drums, or just, mm-hmm. just this like sense of suspended intensity that something is about to happen. Yes. So again, like mm-hmm. so many places on this album, there's this catching line that is followed by a musical opportunity to reflect. And in this case, it's literally the title track of the album. So you get this minute to reflect, but it's not like a sorrowful reflection reflection. It's, it's like anxious. Yeah. Something bad going down yeah. right now. Um, yeah. And, and just as a matter of um, pattern repetition, we have this slow opening up of the beginning of the track that has this gasp for breath right before the opening line comes in. And in this one, we get a swelling sort of reverse, maybe synthesizer sound right into the downbeat of the last part yeah. of the song. And arguably the greatest drum fill that Ricky Zoda ever played. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It is. Sure is. It deserves its own moment just to sit and think about how good that drum feel is. Yeah, totally. Oh. Anyway, so once <laughs> I, I don't have anything like clever to say about the music. It's just great. It is. It's it just is. great. Yeah, it is great. The only yeah. thing I'll highlight is what you're about to read is yeah. all spoken in a whisper that I have listened to this countless times. I've never been able to comprehend what is being said in the yeah. whisper. So I just trust that those who have annotated are correct, that everything he's saying in whisper is correct. I don't have the actual liner notes in front of me to confirm. Right. I, I think there's actually two whispered sections to the song. I think there's yeah. one where he's reading a more extended quote from the song of songs. And then mm-hmm. we get him break through for a second and you just hear the phrase, the little foxes, but it's, yes, it's out of a longer reading of, of that. Text. I believe you're right. Yep. And then in this part, then he, he anticipates the last words of the song by muttering them under the music. If, mm-hmm. if there's anything else yeah. going on, who's to say what, because it's so quiet. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
which is just an aside there too. We see them use that technique so much in their last two albums, especially. Yes. yes. In, in Untitled, quite like there's a literal entire song where you hear very little of what Aaron yeah. is saying clearly, and it's yeah. Really, yeah. So I, yeah, man, when we get to that season. 14 years from now uh, at the rate we're going. Um, I, I've got a lot to say about the place of his voice in the mix, but this is an interesting early example of that. Anyway, turn your ear, you musician, to silence, because they only come out when it's quiet, their tails brushing over your eyelids. Wake up sleepers and rise from the dead, the fur that they shed to cover your bed. Delicate orange, cinnamon red. Ah, uh, but I don't need this. I don't need this. Love, doubt, stay out. I don't need this. Now, I read that the way that he says it. The liner yes. notes actually say something slightly different towards the end. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in a delicate orange ish cinnamon red. Now, it's hard to yes. say whether he's saying ish or uh. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I've always heard it as. A delicate orange, a cinnamon red. Yes. Hard to tell for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then the printed lyrics are, uh, I don't need this. I have my loves. I have my doubts. I don't need this. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that that somehow reads differently and that i remember the first time i listened to this album when it first came out had the liner notes out had my headphones on went through the whole new album ritual and i was hung up on the end of this song like that's not what he said (laughs) he said love doubt stay out i don't need this but Mm -hmm. printed i have my loves i have my doubts i don't need this he doesn't say stay out in the in the printed words Literally and, and very mm. prosaically, I imagine he probably wrote these lyrics out the way we have in the liner notes. And when they got into the studio and recording it, he just couldn't make it all fit the right way. And so he came up with a shorthand that fit the rhythm of this exciting musical moment better. I don't know that for mm. a fact, but that's that's mm. been my assumption. Yeah, um, it could be. But but the printed version, I have my loves, I have my doubts calls right back to me to I have a thousand half loves mm-hmm. from the last song. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. And ties right back in again to the, to the, you know, the purity of heart is to will one thing, which she clearly feels like he is not in such a blessed state. So correct. Right. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so back to the top of this. Well, so in general, I mean, I think that it's pretty straightforwardly, uh, well, it's, I guess it's not so straightforward because he doesn't use the word foxes, but he is talking about foxes yes. in sort of more indirect they language, right? They only come out right? when it's quiet. Their tails they only come out when it's quiet. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or, or the fur that they shed that's going to lay on your bed in a, the orangish, orangish cinnamon red yep. is obviously the fur of a, of a fox. Um, so it's, I think that what's interesting then is to like look at the things that are kind of woven through the imagery of the fox, right? Yes. So you have this uh, this admonition, right? This this uh, command, in a sense, turn your ears, you mus- musicians, to silence, mm-hmm. right? In order to coax the foxes out, I I assume, and then 
awake up sleepers and rise from the dead. That's a biblical reference, which we'll talk about, yeah. uh, you know, in, in a minute. Um, and then concluding with the, I don't need this. I don't need this. I have my loves. I have my doubts, you know, however we want to. So, yeah. So I, I don't know, maybe it might make sense. Um, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like going back and forth on this. I'm not yeah. sure. Well, I have a, I have a small thing just to tie it to the Oscar Wilde poem again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In which when they enter the, you know, when they're observing the harlot's house, the, the musicians, there playing their, their violins. So it's mm-hmm. almost as if, even though there wasn't a direct reference to them earlier in the song, because there was the direct reference to the dead or dancing with the dead. Those mm-hmm. sleepers, in fact, might actually be people who are just caught in a dance, a mindless mm-hmm. repetitive dance yeah. being played by the musicians. So he's calling to the musicians of the harlot's house, stop, so the foxes yeah. can come out to then allow mm-hmm. the sleeping, sleeping metaphorically people right. to wake up, arise from the dead. Yeah, <laughs> she entered the house and is saying, "Can I talk to you a minute right. about the Lord?" And, and this is him <laughs> being a lot more uh, forceful about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, anyway. I love that. I mean, I to to bring that in be, because we, you know, mm-hmm. in this actual song in the lyrics, we don't have any references to musicians playing up until this exactly. moment. But because we do have a direct quote from from this Oscar Wilde poem that does have several references to music, right? I mean, there's the Mm -hmm. specific name of a waltz by Strauss. Um, There's the reference to a Sarabande. Um, Even the line, the dead are dancing with the dead is reminiscent of this, um, this piece by another 19th. So Strauss is probably talking about Johann Strauss, who was called the waltz King, but late 19th century French Mm -hmm. composer, Camille Saint-Saëns wrote a piece called dance macabre. That was really popular. Um, Mm a lot of xylophones in it that sound like bones dancing around yeah. so there's all that going on and then to yeah. just to just put a stop to it right to have the sort of proverbial like you know record scratch which i'm sure is terrible for vinyl <laughs> it is oh, yes. yes right but, uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right all that just stops yeah yeah i just i want to say something not insightful um, or poetic or literary, but just just personally, I can't mm-hmm. name the date or the place or whatever. I think I was probably on a late night road trip somewhere. Um, and I remember I just I had Catch for Us the Foxes playing in my car pretty loud. And something hit me at the end of this. And I'd, I'd listened to it, you know, dozens of times. Like I knew this moment was coming, but mm-hmm. it never happened to me this way before that, like that build up and that incredible drum fill hits. And then this like just wall of sound explodes and, and Aaron yells, turn your ears, you musicians to silence. And it was just an involuntary jerk that my hand just flew at the volume knob on the car and just shut it off. And I just like sat there stunned for a long time in silence driving. And I can't tell mm. you what that meant at the, at the moment. Then I probably could. I don't remember what sort of internal dialogue or prayer or whatever it was that followed. I just remember the visceral shock of my hand just like obeying exactly mm. what the song said to do. And and I still think about that moment every time I hear this song, even though the context has now left me. 
I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, that is great. Um, I, we we taught you. We touched a little bit on the the reference to the sleepers and and rising of the dead as perhaps being connected to in in some ways could be read as being connected to the Oscar Wilde poem, even though it, it is a, a direct reference to Ephesians five. Yeah. Um, read read it starting at verse eight the, if you can. <laughs> I, I I guys guys uh, it is. Y'all, this is this is just it's so much. How are we going to get through this? Okay. So here here it is. Here it is from verse 8. The section is titled Children of Light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Test and prove what pleases the Lord. Have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that is illuminated becomes a light itself. So it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, Pay careful attention then to how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, all this stuff about darkness, light. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just fascinating. We could sit with this a long time for sure. I mean, that just that passage from Paul is, is really rich and really dense, but in light Mm -hmm. of the immediate lyrical context, turn your ear, you musicians to silence is in direct Mm -hmm. contradiction to Paul's yes, injunction to sing and make music. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Which right. I don't think negates what Paul is saying, but the context is different. He's he's speaking to yeah, a church fine. in one situation, and Aaron is now speaking to a church in a different situation. Correct. Right. And and also, so there is there is one way in which they're parallel. Right. It's this idea of exposure. Right, yeah. and ex- because the 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 narrator, the speaker in in the lyrics is saying we need to draw out the foxes. Right, yeah. we have right. you know it's the method that is that is different. Right, the you know Paul is saying you have to expose these deeds of darkness that are done in secret to the light. You have to make everything visible so that there are no secrets. Um. And it seems like one of the ways to do that is to just be filled with the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, don't be foolish. Uh, don't get drunk. Instead, have the spirit fill you, sing, make music, right? And Aaron is saying the opposite, right? No, no, no. In order to expose the the foxes, right, that ruin the vineyards, we need we need silence, yeah. right? It needs to be quiet. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and think it, back it's... to Torches Together with all this business <laughs> yeah. of, of the exposure, right? Yeah. He's yeah. So the stones are making a building, and then he interjects the idea of a window. <laughs> if you'd rather yes. be a window, I'll gladly yes. be the frame for this very purpose, right? To reflect all the kind yes. words. Well, let's let in the light. Let's let in the blame for what's yep. going on here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Shining a light on it. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Holy cats. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it's worth noting, um, in I think in many translations, the phrase, however it's rendered, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, is set in quotes and sometimes even put into poetic it's, structure it on the poetic. page. It is poetic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah which, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, it's a, it's a translator's way of getting that Paul is probably quoting a hymn that yes. was already in circulation yes. in the early churches. Yep. So it's like, oh, mm-hmm. here's some song lyrics, yep. you know, let me drop those yep. in because you'll yes. understand the broader context. And we've lost that original hymn text. We just have this fragment that he quotes. Right. right. Yeah. And hmm. what's interesting is, is that this is a kind of a different way that Paul, well, so the, the letter of second Thessalonians is, I think, disputed it's disputed pauline authorship I, I think many most scholars think that it's likely not written by paul if i if i remember correctly um but the the way that that the author of that letter addresses the dead and the rising of the dead is uh is quite different he he is using the same language of waking up right of of being asleep for a long time and then waking up, but it's not in, in that case, it's the resurrection. He's talking yeah. about the resurrection here. He doesn't seem to be talking about the resurrection. He's the sleeper who is needs to rise from the dead is someone who is in sin. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They're spiritually not, dead. He's not talking about some, with yes. us now. Yeah. It, yeah. Back, yeah. So yeah, back, back to what I was yeah. saying of, of stop this music. Mm-hmm. Because the people who are dancing, the spiritually dead people, need to be woken up. Yeah. But where does yeah. that fit in with the foxes? So, like, the foxes now aren't the spiritually dead people. Aren't the... They're, they're something else. Uh, and maybe it is the thoughts that we're running through. But what is that? I think... Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think to to just keep it in the context of the biblical passage... Yeah. I do think it's it's talking about some kind of corruption mm-hmm. of the love between these two figures, um, which is a a kind of again, it, it's hard to. <laughs> I'm not a biblical scholar. I can't really say what the original context was. I, I can say, however, how most American Christians uh, read, it. read it. I mean, especially evangelicals, which is that. This is a love that is God ordained, and what that means is that it is it is marital, right? These are two people who are uh, who are married. Mm. Now, there is some indication of that in the text, but it's I don't think always clear that these are two people who are who are married and committed in a monogamous marriage relationship the way that we would conceive of it, right? So. That said, the that makes it harder, I think, to to kind of parse out what the foxes are and what exactly they are doing beyond right. 
there is a love that is seems to be viewed as perfect or at least good in some way and re- represented by the metaphor of the vineyard and um, that is in bloom and the foxes are some corrupting force that is going to ruin that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so to catch them, right, is just simply means to, to stop them. Right. Correct. From, Correct. Um, but there's an interesting... <laughs> it's interesting because the 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 plan here, right, to to coax them out, right, turn turn your ears to silence because the foxes only come out when it's quiet, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then their tails are brushing over your eyelids, the sleepers, yeah, um, which is str- it's a strange juxtaposition because if the foxes represent some kind of sin or corruption or something like that. You know, Paul in Ephesians is is telling people to wake up, uh, not to be woken up by corruption, right? Right. But to, they're not wake, woken up by the darkness; they're woken up by the light. Exactly. But again, that's not what's happening here. Exactly. Um, yeah. And the fur they shed that's going to lay on your bed in this de- right, and that's the end of it. That's the end of the reference to the foxes. Is that they come out, their tails brush over your eyes. You are. Uh, you know, admonished to wake up and rise from the dead. Um, and all you see is this fur remain. And the, yeah, well, and it's interesting that you have the conjunction or, so it's, yeah. you know, rise up from the, rise from the dead or the fur that they shed, that's going to lay on your bed in a dim, uh, in a delicate orange crimson. And then he stops. Yes. He cuts it off. Ah, but I don't need this. Yes. <laughs> right. So he doesn't ever complete mm-hmm. that thought. Mm-hmm. So I said, I said, I brought this up earlier, you know, taking the metaphor perhaps a little too far with what are the foxes, tying it back to Seven Sisters, because Stephen, as you said, there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. So perhaps if the corrupting force are the, I don't want to say intrusive thoughts, because that's not really what that term means, but these, these thoughts that, they, that the narrator wishes he could get away from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That are often put down as clever words on pages, but as those, as you just break those things down into fragments, circles, points, and lines, they cover, they cover them like carpets with graceful, meaningless, ornamental designs. There's a, something about this covering the fur that's shed laying mm, on the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And, okay. and especially yeah. with it being just the f- pieces of fur, not a whole animal. There's a mm-hmm. to me there's a strange weird half parallel between the clever words that are breaking down into really just their component parts yeah. and circular logic you know fragmented <laughs> sentences yeah, things totally. like that as you were saying last totally. time Joel uh, and these remnants of the fox but they're left like you said like he doesn't mm-hmm. even finish the statement before again this is this song's version of etc mm-hmm. oh but I don't need this I don't need this for I have my loves, I have my doubts. Or mm-hmm. what was it? What's the what's the spoken version? Because I th- that's how I've always heard it too. But what was it, Stephen? Yeah. Oh, oh, it, what's in print? No, not what's in print, but what's spoken. Oh, love, doubt, stay yeah. out. I love, don't need doubt, this. Stay out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I want. Oh my God, this is all the way back to A to B life now. I want the aesthetic. I I want to stop thinking about this. 
I, I don't yeah. want to think about love. I don't want to think about doubt. I just want to be happy. That, yeah. oh, mm, that's so heartbreaking. I mean, <laughs> I don't think this is the, the strongest reading, but I want to press something you said, Nick, just a little bit Please. further about the self-criticism that could be at play here. Maybe that it could go even beyond just his own intrusive thoughts or whatever kind of thoughts are, are being compared to yeah, Fox's yeah, yeah. here. But that that he let, let's make it very specific again, just for the the exercise of of trying to turn this into some straightforward narrative. That perhaps Aaron, our our beloved narrator, and Amanda, his counterpart, who has followed us these first two albums, maybe the two of them are the foxes that are ruining the vineyard, which is this church group that they're all together with. It's not some, not some abstract internal thing, but it's actually he himself. And now oh, like uh-huh. <laughs> he's seeing himself as, as this ruinous agent within the church that he's realizing he cannot be a part of Thank anymore. <laughs> and he's telling them, catch us, right? Catch yes. us. Like we don't belong yes. here. Catch me out on it. Yeah. Just to insert a little bit of, personality or personal to this that's often what my anxiety tells me is i'm the issue i'm the poison in yeah. the well and i think many people who's, who grapple with anxiety and depression yeah. have have those mm-hmm. sorts of intrusive thoughts and we're seeing that on full display yeah. the past really seven songs <laughs> um and this yeah. is just putting a very fine point. I don't think you're t- stretching that too far at all. I think that's quite literally what's going on at this stage in the album between the admission of, of suicidal thoughts and, and where we are in this track in between Seven Sisters and Now. Mm-hmm. Which then puts a whole different spin mm-hmm. on the fact that they titled the album this yes. line. It does. Aaron is the foxes. <laughs> uh. Yeah, right. And yeah. If, and if you know, I think I think there are readings of the Song of Songs that go back to the ancient world. I mean, the pre-Christian Jewish interpretation of this text that see this as an allegory yeah. between God and Israel. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, sure, <laughs> <laughs> because it gets it's interesting, but it gets real weird real fast. The more specific verses you try to tie it to, yes, of course, but yeah. there is. A, a mm-hmm. long tradition and Christian interpretation that I think has has come up on this mm-hmm. season already mm-hmm. of tying this to Christ mm-hmm. and his church. <laughs> yeah. So if you take that as the dynamic, then the person speaking catch for us the foxes. It could be the group, but it could also be the man himself, which in at least this reading is the voice of the Lord speaking to his bride, the church, saying, catch for us the foxes in the vineyard. The little foxes and now all of a sudden the title of the album is jesus telling the church to get rid of aaron and his girlfriend <laughs> yes my gosh <laughs> i i love i think that that's a really uh fascinating reading it's almost like in some ways it's almost like a, it's like a counter reading in a way to like what, you know, what we've been saying, you know, what the sort of maybe intuitive, uh, Christian, I guess, if you will, interpretation would be right. That the, that this is about like weeding out sin in your own life or something like that. And 
when it's like, no, 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 actually. <laughs> Weed out the sinners. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like somehow recognizing. I mean, that it fits. It's, that's, a, that's really compelling, especially with, you know, talking about the whole idea of this being a breakup album with the church. Yes. Um, yeah, super compelling. Well, especially when we take into context, and I know a lot of me without you fans fall somewhere into this like exvangelical mm-hmm, deconstructed. Mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. people still have faith, some people don't, but whatever conception of you know the the cliche hate this don't hate the sin or hate the sin. Well, <laughs> from an outsider looking in, it, a lot of conservative evangelical culture looks an awful lot like hating the sinner. Uh, yeah, totally. and using the sin as an excuse for that. Yep. So we can also flip what you just said. It's it's God telling the church to kick Aaron and his girlfriend out, and it's actually Aaron saying, "In order for us to find God, we must kick ourselves out because this <laughs> is not this community is not yeah. serving us." Mm-hmm. And now we're just turning <laughs> over every stone. <laughs> yeah. But will we make oh. a building? That's that's to be found out <laughs> by the end of this album. That's the question. If you want to yell at us, make sure to email us, uswithoutthempod at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a phone number. I'm not going to read that yeah. off. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, see y'all next time. <laughs>